So welcome back to A Place Called Porch. My name is Megan Zamora, and I have with me today Sandra Hebert, who's our Education Director for the Porch Band of Creek Indians. Sandra, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. I have, too. I've known you for quite a few years now. It's been a while, (laughs) Because even before I started working here for the tribe, um, of course, I was a student, and I kind of knew you through email exchanges and all that kind of sort of thing, but you've been part and parcel of the tribal family now for how many years? Well, there's a dispute about that between <laughs> me and HR. Um, I say 30 years. They say 29 years, but I think actually they just did not count the first year I was here because I was a part-time employee. Oh, and so, okay. so yeah, I count that year though, so 30 years. Yeah, I would count it too, Sandra. <laughs> That's really remarkable. I had no idea that you had been here for that long. That is a long time. And when you look back at it, it it really, I mean, my children, I I came here, I wasn't married, I didn't have children. Now my children are grown and my grandchildren are, you know, getting there. So yeah, it's been a long time. Mm -hmm. My whole life as an adult, really. Mm -hmm. Um, So whenever you first started here, you could not have been further from education. No. Where were you working during that time? Yeah, well, when I was initially hired, I was a probation officer. And I think I was actually the first one the tribe had. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been a long journey from there to here. But, um, yeah, that was, that was some really good times, though. How did you make your way to port? Um, well, I was finishing up at Troy University, um, working on a master's. I was about halfway through, and my aunt saw the ad in the paper. And they were, of course, wanting me to come back home. And so home, to me, is Uri, Little River area. Um, so she saw the ad in the paper, and she called me. She's like, would you be interested? You know, I was a criminal justice major. And um, she said, this might be a good, you know, foot in the door for you. And I was like, okay. So... Um, I put in the application, came down and interviewed, and I got the position, which I really wasn't expecting. You know, I thought it'd just be a good experience to interview anyway. But um, yeah, so uh, it worked out, and here I am. (laughs) (laughs) So you started off as a probation officer, Mm -hmm. and then what came next? How'd you end up in education? Um, I was probation. I went from probation. I actually went to human resources for a little while. Okay. Um, and the funding, you know, back then everything was grant funded, so there was very little um, tribal funds. So the funding disappeared for probation. So that's why I went to HR. Um, a little bit later, they got funding for it again, so I went back to probation. And then um, I went to family services, which at the time was called social services, and started over there as a case manager. So it was just um, an opportunity to have more of a, you know, I don't know, I guess to use some of my skills. And um, we we really were working a lot with the same clientele. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of overlap there. So, um, yeah, so I went to family services and stayed there for a good while. And then at what point did you get to education I was in family services maybe eight, nine years over there. I did case management first and then um, was director of family services. Then, um, just needing a change, I went um, 
to tribal planning and development, which was um, at that time is a very small department and encompassed the environmental department as well. Um, so I was really hesitant about that because I environmental issues I don't know a lot about. That wasn't my thing. But I really liked the planning part of it. Mm-hmm. I liked seeing where the tribe could go. So I did that for about a year, and then the education position came open. And I joked for years that if it came open, I was going to you know, apply for it. Mm-hmm. And I think there were probably four or five people over a maybe three or four year period. So it was kind of like that door kept revolving in education. And finally, it's like, I think maybe the time is right. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, so I applied for that. And my baby was five, I believe, at that time. Mm-hmm. And he's 22 now. So I've I've spent the majority of my time, I guess you'd say, in, in education. education. Yeah. So what changes, because you were hired shortly after the tribe received its federal recognition um, because we've been federally recognized now for, let's see, we were federally recognized August 11, 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been rec- we've been recognized now for 38 years. Yeah. So you, you came on board pretty early on mm-hmm. in that time period. And describe, can you de- just describe what, the landscape of the tribe looked like then versus what it looks like now. Right. Um, Well, there's, you know, there's been so many changes since that time. I mean, if I think back to that, um, my first office was in the old schoolhouse, and that was pretty much the hub. I mean, the building, I forgot now what it's called, 200, the old long metal building, I think that was kind of the um, tribal administration and all those, you know, offices were in there. But everybody else was pretty much up at the old school. And that's when they had built on the addition up top. And so, you know, that was kind of the buildings here. And um, a little bit later on, they did build in 300. So you see that. You see the housing units coming up. You know, bingo is still bingo, and there's not a lot going on over there. But you kept hearing, you know, we're going to get that casino. And so there, that that was a long time you were hearing that kind of scuttlebutt, and it's like, when, when, you mm-hmm. know. And we all knew that things would change when that happened. But, you know, it was like anything else. It's coming, but you don't have a time frame on it, so... I think, you know, things just went on as usual over here, but you're seeing little changes here and little changes there. Um, And then it happened, you know, and it's like everything changed. So, you know, it kind of makes me sad to think about it because things were, in a sense, so much better Mm -hmm. back then. Um, I feel like everybody really supported each other in a a really a different way. so I think when we talk about support, a lot of times you think money, you think financial. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there was a lot of need in the departments. There was a lot of need in the community um, financially. But then you had that support in another way, which was people looking out for each other. Mm-hmm. And um, there just didn't seem to be as much, you know, I hate to say it, but pettiness. There's a kind of a lot of that that goes on sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um so it, it really is you felt closer to your coworkers. You felt more a spirit of community. 
And I don't think we have that quite as much anymore. I'd love to see that. But, you know, I don't think that's just related to the tribe. I think that's in general in this country is Mm -hmm. things have changed over the years. The culture has evolved. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I can can definitely see that. And I think that COVID really hasn't done much to help that. I agree completely. Yeah. I hear a lot of stories about how it was back then, you know, and I wonder sometimes, too, if it made a difference that the workforce was so much smaller. I think it definitely did. Um, Back then, of course, you knew everybody. Mm -hmm. And if a new person came in, it was like, oh, my gosh, who is that? You know, you had to go get to know them and and meet them, and sometimes you click, sometimes you didn't, but you still supported each other, uh-huh. I think, because um, you needed one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think as it's grown, it's like now you look at Namely or you go to an event, and it's like, who are, I don't know these people. <laughs> and actually, that's we have some of that in education because of the um, child care workers we hire. We have mm-hmm. a lot of turnover in those positions. Mm. So you really rarely do you know all of them because you will, you'll have them come in and within a few months they're, they're gone. Mm-hmm. You know? So you just don't have that same consistency in employees, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the size of the tribe is just the employees. It's, it's amazing compared to where we were. Oh, I can imagine. Who were some of the people that were, that you were working with back then? Um, well, Tim Martin is the person who hired me. He was tribal administrator at that time. Um, Ginger Stabler was still, she was Ginger Faye then. She was still in um, HR mm-hmm. running that department. Donna McGee White was the first person that I really worked closely with because she was the tribal court director. Um, so as probation, you know, we worked really close together. Um Jim, of course, Jim Shiver, he's, you know, he's been here forever and then left, but he, he was one of the first people, you know, to kind of make you feel welcome because that's just the kind of person he was. He was an environmental. Um, He was actually doing facilities. Facilities. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay. Yep. Um, And Kenny, I got to mention Kenny Shivers. Kenny and I hit it off really early. I think he was still dispatching at the time. So that's been way, way, (laughs) way back um, that that he and Connie and I kind of got to know each other well. Um, And all the police officers, because when you're doing probation, you know, you work closely with them. So I was thinking about that the other day. I don't, we've lost most of those police officers. I mean, they've, they've passed on. Um, the crew that was here when I started. So again, it's really it's kind of sad when you look back mm-hmm. at that. You know? It's it's tough. I mean, change is tough. It is tough, you know. Yeah. And there's good things that come out of it, and then there's just really right. hard things that come That's out of it true. sometimes too. That's true. And I'm very sentimental, so you know, I don't know. I can get on those days that you start thinking about that oh, stuff, yeah. and it just really kind of is depressing. Yeah, you know, it can be yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, because we have, we've seen such an evolution here at the tribe Mm -hmm. and there are those moments where you definitely feel that sense of strong community and, um, unification and camaraderie. But then a lot of days I kind of feel like everybody is so, um, 
has gotten so singularly focused on just their right. area that sometimes you don't really overlap as much as what you used to because uh, with a smaller operation, you're going to wear multiple hats and there's going to be more overlap, I would imagine. And I think as an organization grows and people get more specialized in their area, there's not as much overlap. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, And also, you know, we used to have to get together to make decisions or, you know, whatever we were doing, there were a lot of meetings. And now, you know, you can quickly email somebody or text somebody and you you get that short, you get the answer you're looking for, mm-hmm. but there's not that time to kind of get to know each other and, you know, how's your family and that kind of thing. And I think that's where we miss a lot because when you don't know things like that about each other. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't know the struggles either. That's I mean, true. you know, and so it's it's really easy to get upset with people, I think, sometimes when you don't know personally kind of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you have a smaller workforce like we used to, you knew that if somebody's mom was sick or, you mm-hmm. know, they were having some kind of issue, you, you knew that and could give a little more grace. Mm-hmm. And so now it's like you don't always know and you don't you, your mind really doesn't go there sometimes so right. it's like you know well, you just don't want to work with me or you don't yeah. want to help me or whatever yeah. so you know I think bruised feelings and egos sometimes arise when it's um, maybe a misunderstanding mm-hmm. but um yeah I, I mean I appreciate the fact that we can text and email don't get me wrong <laughs> I like that but um yeah it does kind of take some of that human connection out sure um Whenever you first came to the tribe, what technology was available then? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, there was no internet, okay? <laughs> there was no internet, kids. Um, yeah, it was rough if you look back now. Um, I don't know how many people remember WordPerfect. Oh, but, I do. But, yeah. <laughs> I do. That's what we had to work with. And uh, it was really funny because, you know, we had to, if you needed a computer, you had to write a grant and specify in there that you needed a computer. Because it wasn't, you know, there wasn't money. Mm-hmm. You just didn't go and, and get computers or whatever. So, you know, you were scouring, which back then, even all the paperwork and stuff where now you look for grants online, they mail that stuff into the tribe like every day. Wow. And I mean, honestly, and it was like a little newspaper and you had to sit there and look through this stuff. I mean, that's why you actually had a grant department at mm-hmm. the time, because it did take forever. Mm-hmm. Where now you type in that keyword of what you're looking for, and it pulls it up. Mm-hmm. But back then, you really had to, like, scour this stuff daily to find a grant. And so you find your grant, and you go, oh, this would be good for the tribe. You write the grant, and in the grant, you had to spe- specifically say, we need two computers out of this and put that in your budget. <laughs> and if your budget, your grant didn't get funded, you didn't get a new computer. I mean, so that's like, you look back at that now and it's like, geez, how did we even survive? It's almost like the Flintstones, you know? <laughs> um, so and you had that and you had a, a landline phone and that was it. It's like Typewriters. Yes, typewriters. Yes, and funny, I used to carry a beeper like, People today don't know what beepers are, but <laughs> but yeah, I had to have the beeper to be on call, yeah. you know. So it's like 
when you first got it, it's like, this is so cool. I feel like somebody, you know. No, no, no. That thing going off all the time is so annoying. So, yeah, we have we are head and shoulders from where we were then. And it's crazy. Like, with the beepers, people could send you an like a numerical message mm-hmm. and it could spell out certain things. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, it was a nightmare. And I think I don't remember if it was right before that. I think it was um we just carried like the police radio, which was no joke with the antenna and everything was like this big. That and looks so, to be about like 24 Yeah, inch. yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Our radio friends can't hear that. But yeah, it's like really big. Oh my And God. you had to, if you were in town, you go out to eat or something, you have this big giant thing on your side. Yeah. Oh, how and inconvenient. It was awful. And then the cell phones, you know, we finally got cell phones, but it was the bag phone that you had to put the little metal thing on top of your car. Now, that I do not remember. I don't okay. remember bag phones. Yes, the bag phone. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it's like a purse, but a little <laughs> bit bigger and probably weighed about 20 pounds. And you had to carry it from car to car. Oh, my and Lord. you put the little magnetic antenna on the top of your car. And so you knew everybody who had a phone because they had the little thing on top of their car. So, yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible. The technology has made a <laughs> world of difference. Yes, it has. Oh, my gosh. Yes, definitely. It's fun to take a trip down memory lane sometimes. It is, and you forget about that stuff, you know, if you're, you're not really asked about it. But, yeah, it's the tribe has definitely come a long way in those mm-hmm. areas. Yeah. And one thing that uh, I find so interesting, too, is, and I've made this comment several times, but... You know, you think, man, we've made so much progress, Mm -hmm. but that work is never done. No, no. No, you think, I mean, one day you'll be sitting around laughing about the cell phones you carry now. I mean, Mm -hmm. who knows what the future holds. That's true. So, yeah, everything you're doing today is history at some point in the future, Mm -hmm. you know, so. So, honing into the education department in particular, Mm -hmm. What did the education department look like as far as size and programs whenever you first became the education director? Um, wow, it was pretty small. I think um, Miss Billy McGee, Miss Claire Jones were in there. Um, Robert Thrower had worked in there, but he had moved on. Um, I believe Felicia Artis was still doing administrative duties then. Gosh. It was pretty small. Kristen Sales mm-hmm. was doing the tutoring at that time. Um, oh, so she's been in the department for a long time then. Yeah, she's she started really young, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think hers was a part-time position as well at mm-hmm. that time. So, um, yeah, it was. I think that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, then we had some changeover. Um, Sheila Fisher came over. Felicia, I think, went to or something mm-hmm. um and so Sheila came over and it just from there it started evolving um we took the title seven grant that the county had had for years um and asked the the county board of education to let the tribe administer that mm-hmm. so we started doing that which brought all of the Indian aids under 
our department, okay. um, which is when we started hiring them. They started getting tribal benefits. Um, we already, we had worked on the tuition assistance when I was in planning. So uh-huh. I think that kind of maybe opened the door as well for me to come over to the department. Um, Daniel McGee and I worked on that with Mr. Tullis. Um and then brought it all to council and got that approved. So that was actually in place, I think, the year before I came in okay. as director. So, And what did the tuition assistance program look like at that time? I believe that first one, gosh, again, that's been a really long time. I believe our first one was um, a competitive process. Mm-hmm to um, award say we only had so much money and you know we we took that money and tried to do competitive then we moved it into I believe it was 25,000 you know as the the gaming program grew that program was able to grow as well so yeah um, and then we added the first gen benefits so it was just, you know, kind of that step. You took one step at a time. You knew what you wanted to do next, but, you know, you just had to wait till the money was available for it. So we feel like that, you know, of all the programs we run, I feel like that has really been the one um, that changed the tribe the most. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I told people then that I, I felt like within a decade we would change the face of the tribe with mm-hmm. that. And I think now it's been more than a decade, and you can see that it really has done that. Mm-hmm. It's enabled so many people to, you know, not just come back and work for the tribe, but to, if their dream was to do something else somewhere else, they're able to do that now. So, um, you know, I'm really proud that we were able to put that program in place. And I can imagine knowing being here at the tribe for so long and being exposed to the history of the tribe and knowing especially the educational struggles that have existed for generations. And then you've been able to see a complete turnaround Mm -hmm. in educational level just in your lifetime. Yes, yes. It's amazing, and I think, you know, the other side of that is we we've went from, you know, people struggling to get any education to, you know, the sky is basically the limit mm-hmm. at this point for tribal members and first gen. Um, and the other end of that spectrum now is working with the learning center. Mm-hmm. And we were joking about that when I came in. Um, you know, it is it's a difficult age group, but I think the rewards of that are so just amazing because, you know, we're the people that I've worked with over the last 10 years or so, you know, maybe didn't have that early start interventions and, you know, people to work with them. Um, Maybe they had more struggles going through school and found college maybe a little bit difficult. I hope that what we're doing with the Learning Center now will help erase some of that, that when our kids get to Huxford or wherever they're going to kindergarten, that they're able to be on level or above level with their peers and get a really good start. Um, That, to me, is the other piece of the puzzle, you know. Because what exactly is the Learning Center? Right now we have two, three, and four-year-olds pre-K. There, I believe, are about 69 kids 
over there right oh, now. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, we have um, two classrooms of each, except for our two K, and it really should be two classrooms. We just don't have space mm-hmm. to, to spread them out. So um, yeah, we have sixteen in the two K. So yeah, yeah, it is. It's a lot, and those ladies. I mean, my hats off to them, really, because I. <laughs> I love kids. I love them, but I couldn't do it all day, every day like they do. Especially for that young, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, That take that, you know, it's it's kind of like a lot of people say that about nursing. It takes a special person to be a nurse. It takes a very special person to be a teacher and especially pre-K. Yes. (laughs) You are not lying. It, It is, you know, watch them on the cameras, watch them this morning, and it's like, Especially those two years, it's like they're herding cats because mm-hmm. you can't even get them to sit down, you know, at the same time. Mm-mm. But somehow they manage at some point during the day. Everybody's reading a story and nap time. They all get them down. Now there's a lot of sitting beside them, patting on the back <laughs> or, you know, rubbing their back or whatever to kind of get them settled. But after a little while, they're all down and asleep and the room's quiet. And I'm like, geez, I don't think we pay these people <laughs> Probably not. Not at all. So uh, they are, they're great, though. They are really great. So if anybody's just handing out prayers, keep the Learning Center <laughs> at, teachers. At all times. Yes. <laughs> yes. They need it. So was the Learning Center always part of the education department? It was not. When that program first came here um, to the reservation, it was the um, Even Start program. Oh, yeah, that's right. And so it was a state program um, just located here. We Mm -hmm. didn't have any, I mean, they just basically camped out in our building. So um, they provide the teachers, you know, and the program was open to anybody. So we did have a lot of tribal kids in it, but, you know, you could take applications from anybody. Mm -hmm. So after about the first three years, that grant went away um, statewide And so that was when we decided, you know, this is a great program. Mm -hmm. We'd really love to see the tribe continue this program. And I went to council and asked for funding, and they've been funding it ever since. So, you know, again, that's a a big kudos to them because if they had turned us down, you know, I don't know that we would be running that today or that we would have grown to the size Mm -hmm. we are. But, um, yeah, when we took it from the state, it was kind of – you know, we had state employees working in it, and state employees get really good benefits and retirement and stuff. Um, so we couldn't compete with that. I mm-hmm. mean, we didn't have the same retirement plan and, you know, that type of thing. So we lost um, our teacher who decided to stay with the county system. Mm-hmm. And that's when we started hiring our own teacher. And, you know, it just, again, it evolved from there. And so I think after. The initial growing pains, it was a really good fit for the tribe. But, you know, just that that first year or so, it was a little bumpy trying to make that transition from a state grant-funded program. But, you know, anytime you're bringing on new programs, even if they've been existing, there's always going to be a few little bumps in the road to try and transition from, Mm -hmm. you know, one set of parameters to another and bringing bringing that on because – I find that in those situations, you don't know what you don't know. Right. <laughs> and right. then you quickly find out. That's true. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, we've got to have a solution uh-huh. yesterday. Yeah. And Yeah. And that's that's how it's been with that program. And then each time we've had to add a classroom or, or an age group, you know, it's been the same. It's been 
you know, it's a lot of, again, growing pains. Mm-hmm. How do you manage, you know, a two-year-old is very different than a four-year-old. Mm-hmm. And so you you have all these things you have to consider, um, curriculum and, you know, that type of thing. It's just very different. So it's, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot to consider. We don't, you know, a lot of people think it's a daycare and we're like, no, it's not a daycare. Mm-mm. Not a daycare. We have people who are committed to seeing those children learn. Mm-hmm. And, um my little grandson is um, in the 2K this year, and he's already, he missed the first week. So he after being in there one week, can't say his ABCs, of course, because he can't talk really a lot yet. Mm-hmm. But he knows the tune to his ABCs. Mm-hmm. He, you can tell that's what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. So you see at, the, at that, <clears throat> excuse me, at that young age, how having that setting available to a child can really make a huge difference. Oh, absolutely. I was shocked. Uh, I was over at my sister and, and brother-in-law's house. Uh, wait, was I over there? Or was I doing a FaceTime call with them? Regardless, she said, hey, look, let me show you what Jax can do. <laughs> And he's just started kindergarten, and he's already reading. Oh, wow. And, you know, he started in, I think he started in the 3K Mm -hmm. class. I think he was in the 3K and 4K class. Mm -hmm. And um, and now he's in kindergarten, and he's already able to sound out the words and starting to read. And, of course, it's a little bumpy here and there. But I was really, I was just shocked. You know, I was, like, really floored, and I was like, that's really amazing because you think about uh, just how important reading is. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that ability, how much you're missing out on. That's right. I mean, that that detracts from your ability to do so many things in Mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, you know, that's a big portion of our program. We have uh, Cassie O'Brien who handles our story time with the kids each week and she you know she's great she'll dress up as a mm-hmm. character and she has no shame about going around like the cat in the hat or <laughs> whatever you know the mad scientist and she goes in and reads with them and you know they'll do crafts and that kind of thing so I think that really is one of the things too that kind of begins that lifelong love of reading Mm -hmm. and I think that is probably the most important thing you can do with any child Mm -hmm. Um, it's quality time spent with them first of all but just for them to see you read and to be read too um, it really makes a huge difference in in their lives and sets them on the right path I think so absolutely and one thing that's unique about the um, Learning Center is there's a cultural component as yes, well. Yes, I was going to mention that. Um, we are super proud of that as well. They come in, they do language lessons with them. And again, you've always heard kids pick up a, a language really quickly. They do. Um, it's amazing. You know, every year we go to Oklahoma for the, the Native Language Conference. Um, we usually place in that Mm -hmm. so um i think you know it's just amazing to watch them go from you know barely speaking words at all even in english Mm -hmm. to where they're able to do an entire skit or a song in creek so it it really i think it again it opens that door Mm -hmm. of curiosity to them about their heritage um I think they they try to instill like the characters you know the animals all these things that 
you know, it's, they're learning without really realizing they're learning. Right. So they make it fun, but it's also, you know, very educational for them. And we, we've done surveys um, with parents in the community. And what I see a lot is they would like to do um, more of the traditional dance. Mm-hmm. And so that, to me, I hope is somewhere we can grow um, in the next few years to not only do the language, but the dance. Because I know for a lot of people, that's a huge passion for a mm-hmm. lot of people in the community. Mm-hmm. So to see those kids get involved at a young age and maybe get in powwow club mm-hmm. and, you know, travel with them, I think would be great. Yeah. And I think um, in school systems in general, you've seen a chipping away of the arts and um, extracurricular activities, Mm -hmm. um, but especially like culture and arts and music. You've seen such a chipping away of that over the years when there's really been a lot of research and studies done, and you would probably know more about this than I would because I'm just kind of like a a casual like scroller of things, but there's a lot of studies and research that's been done that talks about the importance of having arts and music right. and cultural elements in the education programs um, and curriculum because it opens up a different part of their brain. Absolutely. Um, so it's kind of, I'm, I'm glad to know that there are still some incorporations of that. I know they incorporate yeah. some of that at the Boys and Girls Club mm-hmm. as well. They do. Yeah. Um, because I think, you know, with school funding being what it is, right. uh, you know, there's, They've just done away with things like plays and um and I know for me, having that background of um like I remember in elementary school, mm-hmm. every year we did a play. That was like just a every every year thing. And it's so nerve wracking to get up in front of people, but if you exactly. start doing it at a, a young age, yes. you start getting over that a little bit at least. Mm-hmm. Versus if you're an adult and then you have to get up in front of people. It's hard. Yes, (laughs) it's hard. And I I think that's a good point, too. I think that, you know, having um, them do the plays and stuff for for going out to Oklahoma, getting prepared for that, um, you know, we try to put them out there so they do get that exposure at a young age. And then hopefully they're building on that again if they're in powwow club whatever their interest is, you know, they grow through that. They they learn not to be so afraid of being in front of a group of mm-hmm. people. And I think that's really important. I was horribly shy my whole life. And so it's been, you know, I mean, it was not something that we did through school when I was growing up. I didn't mm-hmm. get that opportunity. So anything I've done, it's been like I've made myself. And I, I even like preparing for this, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so nervous. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I mean, it's like, it's just Megan, it's yeah. okay. But, yeah. you know, you do, you think about those things. And so I think, you know, the more exposure you can give to them at a young age, the better. And hopefully it'll make their their life easier as they mm-hmm. get older and they get to school and have to do presentations. And then they get in the workplace and have to do meetings and presentations. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that they've known from a very young age how to do. And, so, and they're not intimidated right. by it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, what challenges are you seeing in education these days? We see a lot. And, and honestly, I'm really worried, you know, overall about the state of education and through the whole country, basically. Um, 
you're seeing that a lot of teachers during COVID have left the workforce. Mm -hmm. They lost a lot to retirement. I think a lot of people are just burnt out, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw they're they're taking, basically, if you have a bachelor's degree now in any area, you can teach. Um, If you have four years in the military, you can teach. And so there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I mean, I want to make that clear. I'm, I'm not against that. But I feel like there's something maybe missing in that component. Um, they wouldn't send a teacher to school to specialize in that if it was something anybody could do. Mm-hmm. You know. So I think certainly while you could go in and hold down a class for a while, I don't know that that's something you want for your children every year. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you do at some point want them to have a certified teacher that you know, knows the ins and outs of education. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I know that's a problem across the country. It's a problem here. Um, And we've been blessed in our program. We we do have the certified teachers. But, you know, as you have turnover in those positions, it could become a problem. Sure. Um, And, of course, our big problem, again, is with child care workers keeping somebody in the afternoons with the kids. Um, and I think, again, that's the workforce as a whole. You've just seen a lot of people leave the workforce. And I think you're right about that, Sandra. I think that uh, from other people that I've talked to, it's a big issue everywhere. Right. And it's it's hitting a lot of our tribal entities. Yes. And it's a little scary because... You recognize at that point you can't have just a room full of directors. You right. can't just have a room full of executive management That's team true. people. You have to have, I mean, your workforce is your backbone. Right. If you don't have your workforce, the work's not getting done. Not at all. <laughs> it's, it's not getting done, you know, because, you know, how many um, C-suite employees or directors are going to go watch a 2K class. That's right. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't see that happen. And I don't know that I would want that to happen. Uh, me either. Me either. Maybe for 15 minutes. Yeah. We, we may have to rotate yeah. people in yeah. and out. I mean, everybody's got their niche. Yeah. You know, everybody's yeah. got their niche. And I know I certainly would not want to be the one having to watch a room full of two, two-year-olds or three-year-olds because right. I don't I don't know that my nerves could handle it, honestly. <laughs> No, definitely not. It's it's tough, but, you know, I think that says a lot about, you know, the people that we employ in those positions. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times there are people, you know, we don't require you to have a bachelor's degree or, you know, there's not a lot of heavy requirements on it. Um, And the pay is, you know, it's good, but Mm -hmm. it's not, when you compare it to the work you're doing, Mm -hmm. to me, it's maybe not what it should be. Mm -hmm. Um, So it really shows you the value of those employees. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's easy to overlook. It's kind of like they say about, you know, people who pick up your trash. You don't realize how important they are until they stop coming to your house. Oh, that's a fact. You know? That's um, your plumbers, you don't you don't appreciate a plumber until your house is, you know, backed up. So, yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing, you know, we, we put a lot of value and a lot of respect into our C-suite employees. Mm-hmm. And maybe we don't always do that with the people who the boots on the ground yeah. who really are making things move. Um, that's to me, it's important to recognize those folks as well. What does the future of education look like, do you think? I 
firmly believe, um, and this is just me, I don't have any insight, you know, into what the council is doing um, any more than anybody else, I would say. I feel like at some point there will be a school here. I hope there's a school here. Um, I, I don't know how far down the road that would be, but I really feel like we're ready. And, you know, we did this big deal 10, 12 years ago about, you know, looking at, do we want to do that? Um, and the price was astronomical, as mm-hmm. you would expect. Um, and it kind of got pushed to the back burner. And at that time, I really was not fully in support of it. Um, I felt like if we couldn't do better than what the county was doing, you know, what would really be the point? But I feel like now we're at that place where mm-hmm. we can do mm-hmm. better. Um, we have the resources to do better, and we have, I believe we have the community support mm-hmm. to do better. So that is something, you know, it may not happen during my time with the tribe, but I feel like it is coming, and, and I, I would love to see that mm-hmm. as, as a future um, project. Um, I feel like our other programs will continue to grow, I hope, you know, um, as long as I have anything to do with them, that's my goal to keep them growing and maybe add some additional programs. And I think um, at this point, you know, we, we've debated on having um, a director for the Early Learning Center. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to happen real soon, and that's going to free us up to do more on the education end mm-hmm. because that program has been so time-consuming. Mm-hmm. So it's really limited what we're able to do um, in education. So that's my goal, you know, to keep that going, to improve on what we've got, and to build to build even more for the community. Well, Sandra, you guys are doing such phenomenal work in education. And just from a perspective of someone who has gone through the education programs, I am so um, supportive and thankful for the staff. I cannot tell you how many times I've been back and forth with Sheila Fisher. <laughs> like, Miss Sheila, what do I need to do next? And yes. Miss Sheila, you know, am I, do you have everything for me that you need? She's what you, awesome. Did you get my transcript, Miss Sheila? You know, <laughs> and um, we've got, we've really got some phenomenal individuals that work here for the tribe and especially in our education department. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, even though you've expressed some turnover, You've had a core group of folks in the education department that have been there for quite a few number of years. Absolutely. And I really think that is a testament to the climate and environment that you've created there in the education department. I hope so. And so I just I commend you all for the good work that you're doing. Thank you. And for all of the students that you have helped because I will say that when we did the um, 2020 tribal member survey – it was really impressive to see how many of our tribal members have degrees. Right, yeah. Like I said, you know, that was the goal to just change the face of the tribe. And, and I really, I feel like we've done that. You know, if that's the only thing that we've accomplished, I feel like we have put people in a position to live their dream. Mm-hmm. And, and really, I don't think there's anything, I mean, what what more can you do for somebody that, you know, it makes me feel good to know that we've been able to help them mm-hmm. to reach those goals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they do the hard work. They go to school and, and the blood, sweat and tears. But to even be a small part of that, it's just been extremely rewarding to me. Well, Sandra, thank you so much for being here with us today. I have thoroughly enjoyed this time with you. 
and I cannot wait to see what's next in the education department. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to A Place Called Porch. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can visit our website, porchcreekindians.org, for more information, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram.